Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. This familiar intro from the 1938 radio broadcast by Orson Welles' Mercury Theatre presented a very real-sounding invasion from the planet Mars, which caused a very real panic among those listeners who tuned in too late to hear its introduction as a work of fiction. It would later be adapted into film in 1953 by George Powell, and once again in 2005 by Steven Spielberg, starring Tom Cruise. What's sometimes not remembered, nor read, is the source material for these radio and film adaptations, an 1898 novel by author H.G. Wells, which detailed the beachhead invasion of inhuman shock troops from the planet Mars, and was aptly titled, The War of the Worlds. The Dilettante, a ferrochrome podcast. The War of the Worlds portrays the Martian invasion of Victorian England through the eyes of an unidentified narrator referred to as the reporter. While the reporter is often thought of as a thinly veiled simulacra of H.G. Wells himself, we soon began to realize that he is a poor and hysterical imitation. He's still sufficient as a witness to the invasion with his character arc granting him some wisdom by the end of the story. During the novel, we see events through his eyes or via second-hand accounts from people he meets. To retell the plot synoptically, astronomers' view what appears to be a red glow of presumed volcanic activity on Mars. Later on, there are large clouds of smoke which are assumed to be residual gas emissions. At a later date, what appears to be a large cylindrical meteor crashes to Earth, creating a large pit in the Horsell Common of Woking, England. The rear of the meteor unscrews, and what are realized to be Martians emerge from the cylinder. In a brief period, before human encroachment, the Martians construct a periscope with a heat ray projector attached. They summarily clear the perimeter of their landing site using the projector to burn down nearby humans, although the reporter is spared. Ultimately, large tripod machines of shining metal emerge to stride the English countryside, wreaking havoc with heat rays and suffocating black smoke. Further cylinders cascade to Earth with more Martian reinforcements and technology, including machines capable of automated smelting, manufacturing, and air flight. We learn about further devastation through the reporter and other intermediaries until finally the carnage stops. It is realized the Martians are perishing due to infection from terrestrial bacteria for which they have no immunity. The epilogue of the novel describes life slowly returning to normal. Indeed, the tale is told in retrospect from six years hence, with the reporter ruminating on whether Martians will return again. The prime motive for the Martian invasion of Earth is the cooling of their planet, a notion popularized in real life by astronomer Percival Lowell. Wells expanded on this in War of the Worlds, claiming planetary cooling started earlier than Earth, 
consequently allowing the formation of life and evolution to begin sooner, according to the novel. Martian life and technology have advanced far beyond that of Earth, with Mars's resources correspondingly depleted. This coupled with the continual cooling of their planet necessitates an off-world strategy to ensure survival for the Martian species. They looked sunward to Earth with its warmer climate, abundant water, and negligible, by their standards, civilization as suitable for colonization. They subsequently apply their protean intellects and advanced technologies to the task with spectacular results. Nothing is detailed in War of the Worlds as to how much is purpose-built technology by the Martians for the task of invasion and how much was already in use, but some assumptions can be made. With ballistic cylinders launched to Earth from a giant gun on Mars, one can presume both were built for the specifics of invasion. The Martians' command of physics and astrogation is astonishing even by today's standards. They are able to launch at least one cylinder every planetary rotation to a maximum of ten, and then have them literally crash land within miles of each other on terrestrial soil. Obviously time is of the essence, and while we are not privy to any landings that did not go as planned, their success and accuracy is still impressive. The Martians' Spartan method of interplanetary travel alludes to a no-frills approach driven by urgency and their strong collective will. When the Martians emerge from the cylinders, they are hit not only with gravity 2.6 times their home planet, but vastly increased atmospheric pressure that is much richer in oxygen than on Mars. This initially hostile environment will be turned to advantage by advanced technology imported from Mars. The first device brought to bear is the heat ray projector, which seems to focus energy from some source, inside a non-conductive camera-like housing, onto a parabolic mirror. This energy emits from the projector as an invisible, at least to human vision, beam of heat. This heat ray is able to ignite organic matter instantly upon contact, as well as demolish buildings in its focus, whose range is inferred by the reporter to be several miles. The most notable device and iconic image of the Martians is the tripod. Over 100 feet tall and composed of shining metal, these are giant three-legged devices which stride, to quote the novel, as fast as flying birds inflicting destruction in the English countryside and urban London. The tripods are surmounted by a cockpit, in which resides a Martian who guides its function. Also, there are metallic tentacles, which are analogs to the Martian's organic ones, used to grasp weaponry and capture human prey. To think of these as vehicles would be inaccurate, as these are more an exoskeleton the Martian wears, as a prosthetic augmentation. The Martian corpus resides in the cockpit as the brain of the tripod body. This is the way a Martian normally travels, in a machine-organic symbiosis, with neither Martian nor tripod complete without the other. With Wells' description of the Martians' physiology, we are given the sense that the Martians have self-directed their evolution in a conscious way, by atrophying their physicality incrementally and supplanting it with mechanical prosthetics. 
The Martians are essentially in the last stages of organicism, reducing themselves to a large cerebral mass who, while robust in their stamina, are still incomplete without the extension of the devices they conceive and manufacture. While it appears the Martians are abominations by human standards, there is grudging admiration by the reporter for the efficiencies, superiority and advanced prosthetics of the Martians. Martians invade the Earth and attempt to subjugate humanity with the parallels to European colonialism obvious. The Martians think of humanity as barely sentient, and there is some sense in the War of the Worlds that this causes the Martians to underestimate the efficacy of Earth's weapons. Three Martian tripods are felled, one by artillery fire, and the other two by ramming from the ocean vessel Thunderchild. Still, these are incidental casualties, with the Martians mowing down resistance quickly by a heat ray and black smoke bombardment. They are here to colonize the Earth, much as Britain and other Western European countries did in Africa, without consent and with deadly force. Wells makes the metaphor explicit when the reporter comments, Before we judge of them too harshly, we must remember what ruthless and utter destruction our own species has wrought, not only upon animals, such as the banished bison and the dodo, but upon its own inferior races. The Tasmanians, in spite of their human likeness, were entirely swept out of existence in a war of extermination waged by European immigrants in the space of 50 years. It is initially hard to see anything commendable in the Martian invasion. Wells restrains himself from polemic, making the invaders neither entirely admirable nor mindless slaughterers. But there is, after all, a dire need for them to colonize Earth. Their own planet is cooling below habitable temperatures. Despite the fact they are not yet at a post-human or post-Martian phase of development, remaining in situ condemns them to extinction. This gives them a morally defensible position for their colonization, it being a matter of life or death for the Martian species. They must occupy Earth in their current transhuman incarnation, utilizing every advantage it affords them. For without their mechanical prosthetics, they are immobile and vulnerable. Their slaughter and consumption of human blood is their only means of survival, much as humans have done with animals both wild and domesticated. That we are considered livestock by the Martians instead of cohabiting peers further highlights the gap between their development and ours. While we are essential to Martian survival on this planet, it is simply as a raw resource. While previous colonization on Earth has been of the intrahuman form, Wells introduces metahuman colonizers to emphasize a biological and categorical imperative. If humanity can dominate lower life forms to their purpose, therefore a superior life form may do the same with us. There is no moral dilemma for the Martians. While it may be war to us, to them it is the equivalent of a human ridding a vegetable garden of rabbits and then making a meal of them afterwards. The situation, while regrettable for the rabbit, would not be considered inhumane from the gardener's perspective. While we deem the Martian invasion imperialism, the Martians, from their transhuman standpoint, consider it pioneering for the survival of their species, 
with compassion, an inappropriate response for indigenous life forms obstructing their goals. To describe the Martian agenda as inhuman is actually more accurate than defamatory. This is a transhuman species making their last stand for existence with humanity's survival irrelevant to them. Are the monsters of the War of the Worlds a cautionary tale, a normative parable, or playing both roles simultaneously? In War of the Worlds, the Martians served two plot functions, providing the breakdown of society essential for rational reconstruction, as well as being a, maybe questionable, exemplar for our future. They conveniently perish in an unforeseen vulnerability to earthly bacteria, but leave a valuable legacy for humanity, as quoted in the novel by the reporter. This invasion from Mars is not without its ultimate benefit for men. It has robbed us of that serene confidence in the future, which is the most fruitful source of decadence. The gifts to human science it has brought are enormous, and it has done much to promote the conception of the common wheel of mankind. In The War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells uses the Martians as both a cautionary and normative paradigm for the future of humanity. On the one hand, they are imperialistic, with good cause due to their impending extinction, but the Martians have taken control of their evolution, wresting it from the influence of natural selection they mean to adapt to their surroundings, not in millennia, but in years. They pull together to ensure their species' survival, traveling across space to another planet to use their advanced technology and self-evolved biology to extend their species' existence. Although their bid for survival on Earth fails, in the end, the Martians unwittingly provide both benevolent cataclysm and normative Wellsian technocracy. Playing both roles in War of the Worlds, it is easy to remember them as imperialist harbingers of doom, while often is forgotten the example they provide, a cautionary metaphor for humanity's own past and its future. The Dilettante, part of the Ferrochrome Podcast Network.